The Midwest Crime Files is a true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they're committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. I'm Chris. And we're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. Welcome back to another episode as we're winding down on the edge of season four here. Yeah. And thanks to you guys during season four, we have hit our um, huge milestone for us. You know, it's not that big in scope of things, but for us, it's absolutely huge. We hit 100,000 downloads of of our podcast very excited so to celebrate we did release a previously patron exclusive episode um but there's still plenty of patron exclusive episodes so if you'd like to join our other um supporters go and head and follow us on patreon or you can go through our website or facebook page for that link and we would be so excited to have a few more supporters going into season five all those links are in the description below So this week's story, it brings us to Michigan. On August 6th, 1994, 42-year-old Lake Orion, Michigan resident Kevin Boyd was found dead by his 16-year-old son, Kevin Boyd Jr. Kevin had been stabbed multiple times, and he suffered severe blunt force trauma to the back of his head. The murder was cruel, the murder was brutal, and police had no clue where to even start. Nobody had any idea who would commit such a heinous and brutal crime. The truth behind Kevin Boyd's murder would shock and devastate the Lake Orion community. Kevin Eugene Boyd was born September 27, 1951, in Mars Mill, Maine. He had been living in Michigan, however, for the majority of his life. He was one of seven children whose siblings described him as happy-go-lucky. He was a kid with red hair and freckles and an infectious smile. He met Lynn in the 1970s and married her in 1975. The couple welcomed their son, Kevin Jr., two years later. Kevin opened up Lake Orion Rental, a tool rental shop that provided well for the young family. I'm going to show Chris a picture of Kevin. And then that's a picture of Kevin on his wedding day with Lynn. Underneath this facade of this perfectly happy family, though, the Boyd marriage was struggling. Lynn was suffering from alcoholism. And she actually ended up eventually checking herself into rehab for her alcoholism. After she came out of the rehab facility, she dropped a bombshell on her husband in 1988. She had decided to end their marriage. And this is something that kind of struck him completely out of left field. He had no clue. And she was ending the marriage because she wanted to move in with a woman she had met and start a relationship with this woman. So it's Ross. Yeah, pretty much. Like, could you, I just, I don't know. I can't imagine regardless of if if it's a woman or a man, but just out of the blue, all of a sudden. Right. No real issues going on with 
you know, the marriage or anything like that, but then just to be like, um, actually, this is, we're done. Yeah. Kevin left the family home and he accepted it as the end of his marriage, but he was disappointed and heartbroken. And his family said that, you know, this was not what he wanted. He wanted his wife and his son under one roof. Um, but despite that, you know, Lynn moved on with her girlfriend and Kevin eventually moved on to meeting a woman that he began dating as well. Kevin Boyd Jr. had struggled after his parents' divorce, which, I mean, that's not really unusual. No. He was 12 when they divorced. Like, and, and like, I think we got lucky with our children. I mean, I think they struggled a little bit, like a little bit, but not nearly as bad as I've seen some kids struggle with divorce. Right. And I think at 12 and without any siblings, that's got to be really hard. And so he began to experiment with tobacco and alcohol. According to Kevin Jr., both Kevin and Lynn were alcoholics. So he basically said, like, I was being raised by two alcoholics. What did you expect me to do? Right. Um, He also claimed that he was abused by his parents, although other people would say that was not factual. So whether or not it is or not, we'll never know. Kevin Jr. struggled in school. He got kicked out of multiple schools and expelled from multiple schools. And eventually he dropped out his sophomore year of high school. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of sad. At 16, he had already totaled two vehicles in car accidents. But his father was actually in the process of buying him a third vehicle. Wow. Um, Kevin Jr.'s aunt said in an episode of Snapped that Kevin tried to act like a badass all the time. And I like I've seen teenage boys do that. Like they want to just be big and tough. Oh, yeah. And, big and know. macho. And oh, you mm-hmm. can't tell me nothing. I'm going to do stuff to you. Motherfucker. I'm just imagining. No, I get it. Like Eric Cartman. I'm 13. I do what I want. Right. <laughs> you ain't my mama. That's just the vision I have in my head as you're talking. After several expulsions from school, Kevin was sent to live with his father. So shortly after he was sent to live with his father, Kevin Jr. found his father's body. An autopsy report showed that Kevin Sr. died of severe trauma to the back of his head. It appeared that Kevin had fallen asleep in a recliner and he was beat over the head with what police believed to be a baseball bat. Damn. Right? Just a man trying to relax. Right. He was then stabbed more than 20 times. Holy hell. Right. Like, they just, I mean, whoever did it just wanted it dead. Yeah. Like, ugh, it's like rage kill. Yeah. Missing from the apartment was an answering machine. You got to remember, it's 1994. And Kevin's wallet. So... It's kind of awkward. I mean, the wallet is understandable if it was a break. Right, maybe a robbery or something. robbery. But I'm not taking (laughs) somebody's... Like, that's kind of a dick move. Like, you ever hear those people, oh, I'm just going to break into somebody's house and, like, switch the keycaps on or take all the AA batteries out of everybody's remote. Or, like, like, mix their sugar and salt. Like, it's just a weird thing. Yeah, it's just a weird thing. Parts of the apartment appeared to have been ransacked, but there was no evidence of forced entry. None. What happened remained a mystery, but the death was ruled a homicide, clearly. 
Kevin Jr. was 16 when he found his father's dead body. So talk about trauma for somebody that's already struggling. Right. Um, the boy appeared like distraught and I mean, legitimately the way you would expect a 16 year old to react. Right. He explained that he had spent the night before with his girlfriend in Lapeer, Michigan. He said that he had been trying to contact his father all day, but his father was not answering the phone. So he came home to check on him. And when he came in, he found his father. He also shared with authorities that, Several guns were missing from the apartment, indicating that maybe that was the motive for the crime was to steal guns. Robbery. Yeah. Police received a call from a local musician who was playing at an establishment nearby Kevin Sr.'s home. He said that the night that Kevin was killed, he returned to his truck later that night and he found a wallet and an answering machine in the back of his truck. He swore he had no idea how it got there. Inside the wallet was money and Kevin's identification. So was it somebody trying to set him up or set somebody up maybe? But like, it kind of brings that robbery motive into question. Right. Why would you leave the money in the wallet? Right. The identification in the wallet made it clear that this belonged to Kevin Boyd Sr. And then they noticed something weird about the answering machine. The cassette tape from inside was not found inside the machine. Mm. Well, at least now we know I think we took the answering machine. Yeah, there was a message on there somebody didn't want anybody to know about. So why take the whole machine then and not just the tape? I don't know. Maybe to think that maybe, hey, he doesn't have an answering machine to begin with, I guess, maybe? Possibly. Witnesses confirmed that the musician was playing inside of the bar all night long, and so he was ruled out as a suspect. There was no way that he committed this crime. But who would put a wallet and answering machine in the back of a random person's vehicle? Right. This man did not know Kevin Boyd Sr., nor did he know his family or friends or anybody. Right. And then not steal the money or anything out of it either. Right. Just strange. Police surmise that the killing must have been committed by somebody who knew Kevin. There were no signs of forced entry, and the violent nature suggested that this was a crime of passion. Okay. But they still didn't really understand a motive. The fact that the answering machine tapes were taken suggested that perhaps whoever killed him had called him prior to try to make arrangements to meet up. Right. And so they thought that that was possibly... um, you know, a reason why, and they needed to figure out who he was planning I'm to checking, meet. I'm checking all those phone records. Robbery was no longer considered a motive since cash was left in the wallet and the wallet was discarded. So, you know, yes, guns are missing, but if it was a robbery, surely they would have taken the money out of the wallet. That just right. didn't even make sense. Why take the wallet if you're not going to take the money? The stab wounds were in his abdomen, face, back, arms, and other parts of his body. Some of the stab wounds were inflicted post-mortem. Damn. Yeah. So what the hell? Yeah, that's just somebody that wanted him dead. The evidence suggested that there were likely two perpetrators who committed this crime. 
The initial blow was likely to the head with the baseball bat, which rendered him defenseless as he was stabbed. During the investigation, everyone close to Kevin Boyd Sr. was interviewed. Police became concerned when learning about one of Kevin's side hustles. So one thing that Kevin did for extra money was he was contracted with landlords to perform manual evictions. Oh, shit. Yeah. So they wondered if it was possible that somebody that he had moved their stuff out, a disgruntled former tenant of one of his contracted uh, landlords, had sought revenge against him and, you know, killed him. I mean, it's possible. People are crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Police investigated several possible suspects from this lead, but nothing substantial was discovered. Kevin's ex-wife, Lynn, was also investigated. She claimed that her and Kevin were amicable, although they did not talk that much beyond co-parenting their son. She said that she had been home the night of her ex-husband's murder, and this alibi was confirmed by her girlfriend. She did, however, provide possible leads to authorities. She suggested that Kevin's girlfriend may be responsible. Kevin's girlfriend left for Canada the day after the murder. Oh, shit. Yeah. She returned freely, however, and she explained that she left before she even knew that Kevin was dead. The trip to Canada was a prearranged trip. And she didn't know he was dead when she left. Okay. His girlfriend, however, did receive a substantial life insurance payout following his death. You always follow the money, right? Follow the money. As it turns out, though, Kevin and his girlfriend had both taken out policies on each other as they planned to spend their lives together. I don't know if they were going to get married or if they were just going to be together. So he also had quite a big policy on her. So... I don't know. It doesn't really necessarily mean as long anything, as they weren't but as maybe. long as they weren't like brand new, like within like thirty days. You yeah, know? I don't think they were quite that new, but they weren't terribly old either. Police then followed up with a long-term employee of Kevin's name, Don. Don stated that he felt like Lynn Boyd needed to be investigated further, but she had this rock-solid alibi. He informed authorities that on the day of Kevin's funeral. Neither Lynn nor Kevin Boyd Jr. attended the funeral. Ooh. You know where they were? I don't know. They were at the courthouse the day of the funeral during the services trying to substantiate rights to Lake Orion Rental Company in Kevin Jr.'s name. Jesus. Yeah. Since then... Apparently, Lynn had been selling off items because she was her minor son's guardian. So she was like sort of in charge of it. And she had been selling off items that they had, equipment that they rented out for like well below market value. So she was just trying to get them gone. Yeah, it just seemed kind of weird. Um, and Don also said that she was taking money out of the company safe. So now here's the thing Don explained that Kevin. And he were the only two people with the passcode to this safe. Kevin kept the passcode on a piece of paper in his wallet. And that was the only way Lynn could have learned the passcode, according to Don. Ooh, so that's why you needed the passcode. And guess what wasn't in the abandoned wallet? The passcode. The passcode. Months after the murder, 
Lynn Boyd's girlfriend, Julie, requested a meeting with law enforcement. She explained that she wanted to provide information about Lynn Boyd's involvement in the murder of Kevin Boyd Sr. Apparently, Julie had initially lied when she provided Lynn's alibi. She said that she believed Lynn's innocence and she was just trying to protect her girlfriend. However, she had since realized that Lynn was definitely involved in the murder and apparently Lynn even confessed to Julie and Julie had found some coins that belonged to Kevin in their house. Like, I don't care how much I love you. Like, you're my life partner. We're doing this for the rest of our life. If the cops come and tell ask me where you were at and I didn't and I wasn't with you, I'm not saying a damn thing. Right. Like, and it's no fault to you. It's I'm CYA. I'm covering my ass. Well, definitely. You don't lie. And if you really think she's innocent, you have no reason to lie. Right. So apparently after Lynn confessed to being involved in the murder to Julie, Julie got scared. And she was afraid she was going to be implicated in the crime. So she decided to go ahead and come forward. Of course, at this point, Julie and Lynn are broken up. Right. So she comes forward. She tells what she knows. So now Lynn's looking like suspect numero uno. Right. A week later. The mother of Kevin Jr.'s girlfriend came forward. She notified police that Kevin Jr. had asked her son-in-law to dispose of a weapon. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Upon questioning this son-in-law, police learned that Kevin Jr. had, in fact, gave him a gun to get rid of. And the man said that he had sold it to a drug dealer, but a gun was not involved in the murder. No. That's what's uh, not unless it's one of the stolen ones. Right. So police were able to track it down and they confirmed that the weapon belonged to Kevin Boyd Sr. Who the like, let's back up. Who the fuck is like, hey, can you get rid of this weapon? Sure. I'm going to go sell it to a drug dealer. Well, I'm sure a lot of people do that on, like, you know, shady people. But shit, like that's like, I, 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 I guess it's just a difference of morals. I don't know. Drug dealers have to be smarter, though. They're going to get framed for crimes they didn't even commit. No shit. <laughs> oh, that's not really funny. It but kind it's just is, kind though. of a funny thought, but it's not really funny. But yeah, like, strange, right? And so once they kind of thought maybe Kevin Jr. is somehow wrapped up in this, they decided to re-interview his girlfriend who had provided his alibi. She said she was watching a movie with him all that night and he stayed the night with her in Lapeer. And she continued to insist upon this alibi. So police asked her to take a polygraph, which you already know my thoughts on polygraph. It is right. admissible in court for a reason. So it doesn't right. prove but Jack. Back, it, at this time it was, wasn't it? It yeah. wasn't admissible, but it was used, I guess, to kind of put pressure. Yeah. Um, she failed it miserably. Following the polygraph, they confronted her, and she confessed that Kevin Jr. was with his mother the night of the murder. Soon after, Lynn realized that police were closing in on her. The, the jig was up. She called the police and requested a chance to provide a confession. Jesus. Yeah. She confessed to being part of the murder. But she claimed that her girlfriend, Julie, was the mastermind. 
okay let's continue let's let's okay continue this train of thought <laughs> she said that julie was the one who planned the murder because julie wanted her to get a hold of kevin's money she gave a detailed account of the murder which matched the forensic evidence but one part of her confession she really struggled with she basically was explaining how her and Julie killed him. She said that she hit him over the head with a baseball bat and that Julie stabbed him. The only problem was whenever she would be talking about Julie, instead of saying she or her, she would say he or him. And she did this repeatedly and she kept catching herself and changing it. Jesus. So that didn't really look Right. And police suspected that Julie was not her accomplice and that her accomplice was Kevin Jr. So do you believe Lynn at all? No, not at all. She says Julie's involved. No, I believe that I believe her when she says he. Yeah. He stabbed her. I believe that 110%. So I wonder if she was just pissed at Julie for narking on her. Probably. So she's like. Screw this. I'm getting, but then you go back to it, and Julie's like, I'm afraid of being implicated in the crime. So it's right. like, okay, so maybe she was and was like, I better hurry up and cover my ass. No, I think her Freudian slips are what are the thing that's going to fuck her with this one. Right. Or right. maybe Lynn was like, if you tell, I'll tell them you did it. Okay. Oh, go ahead, bitch. I ain't got nothing for you. Ain't nothing tying me to this shit. Yeah, I don't know. We'll never know what she knew and when she knew it. Right. Kevin Jr. was brought in for questioning. You know, now he is suspect numero dos. And at first, he completely supports his mother's theory. He says that Julie was responsible for this murder. It is 100% on Julie. He was not a part of it. He talked to his mom that night, but he had nothing to do with the crime. Adamantly denies it. He claimed that he had not even been home. But after continued questioning, the 16-year-old got kind of quiet. And when he seemed like he was defeated, which, I mean, we've talked before about, you know, intense questioning and stuff, police asked him, quote, what kind of person would do this to your dad, end quote. And do you want to know Kevin Jr.'s response? Me. He said, quote you're looking at him end quote and this is gonna set up uh, set us up for later on during the trial and after the trial and being like oh he was under duress during questioning and he hasn't done this and that and the other thing and see see like i need to take a break from doing the whole true crime thing because i'm start, it's starting to get you're uh, getting cynical yeah so at this point, Kevin Jr. provides a full confession, and he tells the story of his father's murder. And I'm going to share what Kevin said happened with you. Lynn had approached her teenage son prior to the crime and suggested that their lives would be much better off if his father was dead. Both Lynn and Kevin Jr. were known to be very manipulative and they often blame their problems on Kevin Sr. 
Kevin Jr. helped his mother plan the crime and told her when his father would be home and when he expected his father would be asleep. He said that Lynn came into the house and hit him over the head with the baseball bat, at which point Kevin woke up a little bit. Jesus. Yeah. So he know he knew what was happening. Like I just can't even imagine. You can let this man just like be happy and by himself. Like you ruddy bitch. Like you're the one that wanted the divorce. You're the one that like, oh, I got this girlfriend now. I'm gonna turn lesbian and this is the like this is my life now. But yet, oh God, that just—that's the kind of stuff that pisses me off. Right. It's like, damn it! Like, you guys did the right thing. You weren't happy together. You got divorced. You know, were you both maybe difficult people? Probably, but it was in the best of your both interest. You know, because you right. both got a divorce. Obviously, they weren't happy together. Right. And so you guys did the good thing. You got the divorce, shared custody of your son, yada yada yada. But you couldn't stand him being fucking happy. Right. Are successful. Successful. Yeah, that's the thing. Not ha- like I don't know if he was happy or not, but he was he had money. Yep, he had a girlfriend that he cared about. <sighs> enough to plan a life with. God. So, Kevin goes on to say that at that point he started to stab his father. His father knew his son was stabbing him. He said, "Quote, I just went crazy." End quote. Like, I cannot imagine. I mean, being murdered, brutally murdered is horrible, horrible enough. But I can't imagine knowing before you die that the people that are going to be the ones that kill you are the people you love. Probably love the most. Right. And like, don't get it twisted. Like, I know that they were divorced, but there was still some kind of love. Well, them. he wasn't the one that wanted the divorce. She was. Yeah, I mean, but he, I'm sure he still loved her. You know? Yeah, I'm sure he did. Kevin Boyd Jr. and Lynn Boyd were arrested and charged with first-degree murder in the fall of 1994. While awaiting trial, both were held in prison. Lake Orion Rental was now without an owner and was auctioned off. So That's everything so he built, gone. Yeah. Whether, because, I mean, and it's all because you killed him. Yep. While moving the last large piece of machinery out of the building, a t-shirt fell out of the machine with a knife inside. There's your weapon. Yep. The t-shirt was confirmed to belong to Kevin Boyd Jr., and the knife was consistent with the stab wounds to Kevin's body. Jesus, Mary, and good St. Joseph. Yeah, they just put the nails in his coffin. The trial of Kevin Boyd Jr. and Lynn Boyd began in 1996. They were tried separately. The prosecution in each trial presented money as the primary motive, suggesting that Lynn and Kevin Jr. wanted to capitalize off of Kevin's success in the business that he built. Right. After her trial, Lynn Boyd. 
at her trial, Lynn placed all the blame solely on her son. What a bitch. Yeah. You know, she originally they thought she was throwing Julie in there to protect her son. And then she goes to trial and pins the whole thing on him. You know, like I was thinking for a minute she was maybe trying to protect him, but no. She claimed that she was being a good mother, yeah. covering for her son, and in reality, she had nothing to do with the murder. Oh, go fuck yourself. Yeah. She protested that Kevin Boyd Jr. committed this crime completely on his own, and she told numerous stories frequently implicating Julie, despite no evidence to support it. So she's not even a believable witness. While she's pointing her finger at her son, she's still telling multiple stories and trying to get her ex-girlfriend in trouble. Like. Like, how dumb are you? Right. Like, how many times, how many, uh, you know, stories have we heard or dealt with where it's like, dude, you're telling too many stories. Right. That's what's giving you, you gotta, away. You got to come up with one defense and stick to it, my friend. And you're in trial, like you're at your, it's during your trial. Right. That you're continually trying to make up shit. Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. Uh, Needless to say, the jury did not buy her BS. She was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Good. Kevin Boyd Jr. also told multiple versions of the crime at his trial. He claimed to be with his girlfriend the night of the crime, but admitted to knowing that it was going to happen. So then Kevin Boyd Jr. goes to trial, and he tells numerous versions of his story at trial as well. Like, you didn't learn from Mama's trial? Come on now. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Well, the family said they were both very manipulative. He claimed to be with his girlfriend the night of the crime, but he did admit that he knew it was going to happen. He also admitted that he gave his mother a key to the apartment. That, you know, explains why there's no forced entry. He said that he was manipulated by his mother and that it was not his fault. Like hell. Yeah. I mean, I don't doubt that she manipulated him. I don't doubt that at all, but that doesn't dissolve his responsibility. Right. Like, you are still 100%. Re- I, I don't give a shit if you didn't do anything at this point. You knew everything was going to happen. Like, you are, you are an accessory. Right. And you should still get life in prison. Well, and you've got this knife, so I think he's more than an right. accessory. No, I understand that. But even if you follow his story. His defense team was adamant, though, that Lynn Boyd was the mastermind, which I do believe. I do believe that. And that he was simply a pawn and was not present during the actual crime. But the evidence. Mm, Yeah, I don't believe that part. Like, I understand. I believe that Lynn was 100% the mastermind behind this. And she probably did coerce her son into be like, hey, hey, you know what would be really nice is if you ran that company. Right. You were making all that money. Yeah. And then we could just, you know, we could just be happy. Yep. I I think that's definitely what she did. And then her son's like, yeah, that sounds good. Hey, I got this knife. (laughs) Well, and, you know, he's she's probably telling him, like, you know, because he's wrecking cars and he's not in school. And I'm sure that Kevin was probably on his ass to get his son's life together. 
And I'm sure he was like, you know, he'll stop nagging you if he's dead. He can't nag you if he's dead. But obviously, Kevin Sr. loved his son. His right. son wrecked two damn cars, and he was going to buy him a one. third. I mean, you don't do that if you don't no. care about somebody. <laughs> I think he was a good dad. and If anything, his dad was like giving him the, like, just kept on feeding him. Exactly. You know? What exactly. is it? What's that Enabling. called? Enabling. There you go. Enabling. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, I agree. The evidence against Kevin was too strong, though, and it included his confession and the knife. So he was found guilty. He had been charged as an adult, despite being 16 when the crime occurred, and he was sentenced to life without parole in 1996, because at the time in Michigan, first-degree murder carried um, mandatory mandatory life. life. You already know where that's going, right? I already know where that's going. Like, there's two things I already know that's going to happen since you said that. It's going to be like, well, he was a minor, so he can't, you know, instantly get a life sentence without parole. And then two, he was under duress during his interrogation. So we got to read, you can't use that in court. So I'm going to show you a picture. Let me go up. I'm going to show you a picture of what they look like at their trials, Lynn and Kevin Jr. And then this is Lynn now. Okay. Lynn Boyd is currently incarcerated to this day where she will be for the rest of her life in a Michigan prison. She's currently 70 years old. So don't got to worry about her. She's gone. She ain't ever getting out. Right. But as you know, in 2012, the United States Supreme Court ruled that life without parole as a mandatory sentence was unconstitutional for those who committed their felonies as minors. Which I still don't like. I get it's one of those ones where I get why they did it. I don't agree with it though. I, I agree that it shouldn't be mandatory. It should be possible, but not mandatory. I do agree with that. I don't think there should be a, you know, you committed this crime, you automatically you're going life without parole automatically but then what's the difference between like a 16 and an 18 year i mean their brain development for one really yes really because i know a bunch of 18 year olds that are kind of childish still oh yeah i don't disagree with you but yet you're still gonna throw them in jail for the rest of their life just because they hit a special age well when you hit a special age the world sees you as an adult and so you're held accountable as an adult i do believe that people under 18 years old should not be mandatory right sentence to life without parole i'm not saying that nobody should go well then it shouldn't it should not be mandatory at all then like it it should be on a case-by-case basis right i don't necessarily disagree with that for everybody but i don't want to see a lot of people get retrials either or resentenced understandable but so because this kevin would have a chance to have his sentencing revised His lawyer worked to have his life without parole sentence overturned, stating, quote, if you want to look at culpability, it was his mother who recruited him, end quote. So basically, they're going back to he was manipulated by an adult that he trusted. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that. He went on to explain that it is difficult to determine if a 16-year-old is beyond hope of redemption. And then he does not feel like Kevin Jr. should be thrown away and, you know, done. You know, he should have a chance to live in society again. He did bring up that 
they felt like the confession was coerced. And so, you know, that had to be taken into consideration as well because he gave a confession um, under apparent duress and without apparent present. So they weren't arguing the conviction, though. They were arguing just the sentencing. Well, it's kind of hard to have a parent present when one's dead and the other one is... Your co-conspirator. Right. Right. Kevin Boyd Jr. was given a second sentencing hearing. At this time, his defense suggested that his mother was manipulative and he was completely under her control. So... I agree that she was manipulative. I don't know that she was, he was completely under her control. Right. I don't, I I mean, at this point it seemed like this, he pretty much lived his life the way he wanted to live his life. I think he got convinced by her that he was going to be the leader of this company and have all this money and everything was going to be beautiful. And his dad wasn't going to be on his case anymore, but he still made that decision. Right. They also proclaimed that there was no proof putting him at the scene of the crime, even though you have the weapon wrapped in his shirt. But I mean, I there guess was, no, was there fingerprints? I guess no. not. And there was no DNA on it either. So they're mm-hmm. saying his mother could have easily done that. Okay. Um, they said that he was guilty by aiding his mother, but not guilty of murder. But again, they're not. This isn't a conviction overturned. This is sentencing only. Right. Finally, the defense said that since his incarceration, Kevin had received his GED, completed vocational programs, worked a variety of jobs, and he had no violations in over 15 years. Kevin went on to say, quote, I've demonstrated no violent behavior. I have no substance abuse issues. I am not even a reflection of who I used to be, end quote. Thoughts? No. There's no, no. Like it's one of those ones where, like, the, while we're going, we're harping back to like season one, Chris, with this one. If you let him get out for good behavior, you're a fucking moron. I'm sorry. This is one like anybody can play play nice while they're in prison because there ain't nothing else to do. Right. You don't have a substance abuse problem because it's really hard. I, mean, I, I don't know, though. I hear there's a lot of drugs in prison. Right. So, but it's like, I don't, whatever. I don't agree with it. Like, I, just, I don't go know. Ahead, just go ahead and. Put, I mean, do I think it's possible that somebody can be reformed? You know, yes. at 16 is a totally different person at 36? Absolutely. Do I think it's possible that someone that commits such a horrible crime at 16 could be a whole different person at 36 that would never do that? Yes, I do believe that. I don't know if I believe Kevin Jr. is that man, but I do believe that that is possible. Right. Kevin was resentenced to 25 to 60 years in 2019. This made him eligible for immediate parole, which he was granted in January of 2020. He served a total of 26 years in prison. I'm actually okay with that. It's not the worst. No. I mean, we've heard much shittier things. Yeah. This is what he looked like in his final prison photo. Okay. Um, really unrecognizable, but I mean, 20 years in prison right. will do that to you. 
Kevin Eugene Boyd was killed in cold blood by his ex-wife and his own son in a crime so heinous and deeply depraved. Kevin's friends and family state that he loved his son more than anything in the world and would have provided anything he needed. Was this a case of maternal manipulation or a tale of two cold-blooded, money-hungry killers? What do you think? Manipulation. Like, I, I, I think that he was manipulated by his mother. Right. But I think in the end, though, I think he was like, he, yes, he was manipulated to do it. But in the end, he I think he probably believed it a little bit, too. Oh, I'm sure. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure. Like, because I'm sure his mom was, like you said, put in his head like, hey, your dad won't be around to piss you off anymore. Your dad won't be there to do anything anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately, he has a psychopath for a mother. Right. Right. Lynn Boyd was motivated by money. And she allegedly told her girlfriend this was part of what Julie brought forward. And I'm going to read you this quote. And I want your response. She said to her girlfriend at the time, Julie, quote, You know, Julie, it felt really good to hit him with that bat. End quote. Psycho. Right? Like, she's depraved. Yes. On a whole nother level. Like I said before, like, you got, you couldn't let this man fucking just live his life and be happy. Right. Because, I mean, he seemed happy. Yeah. He had a good, he had a business that was making decent money. He had a girlfriend that, you know, like, you don't take life insurance policies out on anybody unless you're really just. You're either serious or you're planning a murder. <laughs> right. You know, but, and. Yeah, the things with his son was a little like the, his relationship with the son seemed a little rocky, but it seemed like he was trying to be the best dad. It he was possibly a sixteen-year-old. What do you expect? But yet, you just keep you decided to just fuck all that up, huh? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <sighs> she's she's something else. She recruited her son to kill his own father, demonstrating her character. As for Kevin Boyd Jr., he is now free. And I can only hope that he will overcome the evil ways that his mother taught him because I think his mother is an evil person. Yeah. And I I pray that he is not evil and has grown beyond what happened. And it's weird because we always talk about the eyes, you know, the eyes of some of these people that we right. do stories on. And... During his, like, when the younger during the sentencing, he had those eyes. Mm -hmm. He but, does. But on release, he seemed clear. Yeah, he just seems like a different person. You know? Her eyes are still dark to this day. Yeah. She did not age well either, just an FYI. No, she didn't. If you want all those pictures, you can go to our website at www.themidwestcrumfiles.com. In it, you can find the blog post for this session and any other session or any other episode that we have written and all the references will be down in the below and you can read the all the stuff that gina goes through to get her mind ready to write these amazing stories for you guys also if you guys want to sponsor us on pot on patreon we'd really love it we have what 11 now yes 11 people that are part of our our small little tribe here it's growing uh, i think for the august goal we had we just set it at 15 yeah, so we're looking for four more four in more. August. You know, you can go anything from a dollar to, I think it's like 20. 
Yeah, I is think that so. max? Or you can do a like one time donation. If you, you can do whatever you want to. Yeah. Like I know one person changed theirs from one dollar to two dollars. Yeah. Like I mean, you don't. You can do whatever you feel like doing. But it's because of you guys and all of our listeners that we're able to not do this as a full time job. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, this will never be a full time job. No, never. We told you that, and the right now. Everything, I mean, we can finally say that we hit 100,000 downloads and our advertising and stuff like that finally, like, are this it's covering our expenses. So we're not paying to do it anymore. Right. Thank <laughs> we're God. breaking even. Right. Um, one thing that I did want to say is that when we released this previous Patreon exclusive episode, we realized how terrible the sound is on some of our earlier episodes and so it's because of supporters like our patreon supporters that we were able to upgrade our sound equipment so as we release these older previously exclusive episodes to you guys because i think that's what we're going to do between season four and season five so that you can still get your midwest crime files fix every week um just be patient with the sound because some of these were recorded a very long time ago. <laughs> a very long time ago on a cheap $20 Walmart mic. Right. You know, and also uh, I wanted to let everybody know that our live event has been changed. Um, to the 23rd. To the 23rd because I have to go out of town for work for a week. So unless you guys want to see Gina by herself and hey, maybe you could do a kid's a kids episode. No, again. that's fine. We'll we'll just we'll just wait for you. Okay. <laughs> but thank you guys all so much. We appreciate you all. Yep. We'll talk to you guys later, bye guys. Bye.